All right, welcome everybody to the Art of Prevention podcast. And today I have another very special guest, as we always do, and it is Lucy Haynes. And really wanted to bring Lucy on to talk about some of the awesome accomplishments that she had over the summer. Uh, I was kind of doom scrolling Instagram one day and we actually met in Rifle over the summer while you were projecting uh, one of your accomplishments that you sent over the summer. But over the summer, you managed to place second at the Leadville 100 uh, ultra marathon trail race and also send 514 in Rifle. I mean, both of these feats as just individual endeavors are pretty amazing accomplishments in themselves. And you were able to put together both in the same summer as a dual sport athlete. And you also have also transitioned into a more professional role of helping other athletes too. And I think that a lot of your background and some of the struggles that you've gone through and overcome are really helpful because they give you a lot of insights into how you now professionally help athletes as a mental performance coach. And over the summer, you also got your master's degree in sports psychology. And this is something I really wanted to dive into on the podcast. You know, I've got a bachelor's degree in sports psychology, so I know just enough to be dangerous in that realm. And I really have wanted to pick the brain of somebody with a lot of really fresh and good information on this in a while. So Lucy, thank you so much for sitting down with me today. And uh, why don't you expand a little bit more on uh, the freak endeavors that you were able to do over the summer? Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm blushing. You're so kind. Uh, I take freak as a, as a compliment. Oh, um, yeah, thank you. I, yes. I, 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 <laughs> One of the one of the greatest ones I could receive. So thank you. Um, yeah, so I, I'm Lucy. I am a budding professional athlete as well as um, journalist in the outdoor space and sports psychology mental training consultant. Um, yeah, so this past season was definitely my most proud to date. Um, I even I looking back on it, it's just sometimes it, it it blows me away. I'm I'm very proud of myself and um, I, I think it has a lot, or it says a lot about what the human body is capable of beyond, beyond just me. Um, yeah, so it was an incredible summer in rifle and on the trails and I am really excited to see where I can take it next. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, a lot of people like see this stuff and be like, oh, wow, you did this stuff in one summer, you know, but it's really like the years of preparation and, you know, pun intended, it's been kind of a, a rocky road and it hasn't been the smoothest uh, progression for you to get there, right? Definitely not. And I think, you know, honestly, one of the biggest questions that I get is how I figured out how to balance them. And the honest answer there is that it took a ton of trial and error over many, many years. Um, a couple of which, you know, led me down some pretty not so great roads with, with my health and with overdoing things and struggling with energy deficiency um, and really having to having to go through that and understanding that, yes, quantity matters, but only so much that your body can handle and only so much that you can replenish um, with with fuel on the front end and on the back end. And in terms of just taking care of yourself as a human being first. Uh, so there were definitely a lot of a uh, trial and error lessons learned along the way. Yeah. And I listened to a really cool training beta podcast that you were on a couple of years ago. And in that one, you know, we'll link to that one probably in the show notes and stuff like that. But you really dove a lot into your personal experiences and how you got out of like relative energy deficiency in sport, which is red X, right? So, uh, and that's what you help a lot of athletes out with today, right? Yeah, definitely. And and I'll be honest, the the path out of that is very long um and with lots of ups and downs and you know my body is definitely still not fully recovered from that we're still kind of in in the final stages of getting through but we're we're to the point where it trusts me again it um like i'm giving it enough energy i'm giving it the time um and fuel that it needs to properly recover and reset between hard sessions and hard endeavors um and 
you know, the fact of the matter is that they will always be those blips and those struggles. I, I'm just coming out of one over the past few weeks, just accidentally realizing that I wasn't feeling myself enough until I started to feel like absolute crap. Um, and, you know, some of my symptoms started coming back. So uh, for those that that have struggled with that in the past, your your body becomes extra sensitized to it. So I really can't get away with with any underfueling or overdoing, um, because my body will start to fight back pretty quickly, which I now take as, um, as a really good thing. Like I get that sign so much faster than I used to, which means that I can't, you know, spiral down in the same way. Um, but yeah, at the time of that recording, I was, I was definitely in the thick of it. It was kind of me in the middle of realizing that I had gone back to some bad habits that I had started to cultivate in my early adulthood and as a late teenager where, you know, I did really struggle with a full-blown eating disorder for several, several years. Um, I, I don't consider myself like fully recovered from that. And I don't know if I ever will. And again, I see that as a good thing because it continues to keep me aware and, um, you know, meticulous. And I do put extra effort into monitoring my energy intake and monitoring my recovery. Um, and I, you know, whenever I do happen to get complacent, my body lets me know pretty fast. <laughs> and it, it sounds like, you know, one of the things that we talked about earlier today, uh, when, when we had our chat, like our pre-interview chat was developing a body awareness and you kind of had to develop it the hard way. It sounds like. Yes, yes, definitely. Um, I, I have come to the realization over the past several years while I've been working through this, that not everyone has this level of, of body awareness. And it was definitely something that I didn't even really intend to, to cultivate. And sometimes it is honestly very frustrating because I feel like every little sensation that goes on in my body, I, you know, TMI, but you know, I have a lot of GI issues. I have a lot of headaches. I feel like every weird ache and pain that I get from climbing and running, even if it's not an injury. Um, and I've started to realize that that is because, you know, I've become very, very sensitized to what's going on in my body. And yes, it's very frustrating when I eat like a large bowl of ice cream and my body's like, Oh, this dairy is not so, not so great when, you know, my partner will be totally fine. Um, but I've had to tell myself, like, it's not that something is wrong with my body. It's that I'm just noticing all these things and the benefits of that, like greatly outweigh the, uh, the negative sides. Yeah. And body awareness isn't something that you can necessarily quantify on the scale. You know, I, I uh, subscribed to your newsletter recently and you talked about how you're all about, you know, very much about the qualitative as opposed to just the quantitative and Oftentimes we get very wrapped up in the quantity. I mean, I'm like, I really like the numbers. I like the research. I like to see it black and white, but even like, you know, statistics professors and people like that will tell you really a lot of these hard numbers are something that we create on this backdrop of gray. So tell me about yeah. some of these qualitative measures that you look at in yourself and you look at in your athletes. And I think these qualitative measures are really important also because we don't really have strict guidelines for assessing and evaluating things like disordered eating and red S. So what are some of the body awareness and some of the keys that you look into that other athletes should also be aware of so that they can see if they're starting to slide down that slippery slope towards more disorder type eating or relative energy deficiencies? Oh, that's a really good question. Yeah, um, because body awareness in particular, very hard to quantify. And mm -hmm. it's very hard to compare with anybody. You can't compare it with anybody else because you don't know how they're feeling in their body. You don't know what their body is saying to them. You don't know what they're putting it through on a regular basis. This is something that is entirely your own. And that is both difficult and very special, um, where your relationship and your awareness of your own body is just yours. So that's pretty darn cool in my mind. Um, and you know, the, the first thing that I recommend to people is, uh, is working towards establishing a baseline. Um, and that can actually take a very long time, especially if you don't necessarily have the deepest connection with your body, which honestly, most athletes don't um, because, you know, one 
one aspect of being an athlete, like that's really important to succeed is the ability to push discomfort out um, and to, you know, kind of power through that or choose to continue going through it or feel it and do it anyway. That's a really important skill that athletes need to have because what we're doing is inherently uncomfortable. Um, but the dark side of that is that your body takes that as a cue to maybe stop giving you some of those signals. Um, like if you are consistently ignoring your hunger cues, it's going to stop giving you them. And then you will not be able to fuel yourself properly because you don't feel hunger and fullness the same way. If you stop listening to, you know, an injury, it's going to stop talking to you and letting you know that something is building until it's too late to actually do something about it. Um, if you ignore signs of fatigue, your body's going to pump up that adrenaline to let you keep going until you hit a wall and can't even function anymore. Um, so yeah, the first step, you know, so that you don't end up just slamming straight into that wall with no warning is to work on establishing that baseline of body awareness, which um, you know, the best way to do that, at, um, most of your listeners have probably heard of body scanning, but it's my favorite way to put some structure behind, you know, quote unquote meditation, which can be really difficult for athletes to engage in because it often does not have much structure and athletes love intentions. We love goals. We love directions. We love the metrics. Um, so it's very difficult for most of us to embrace that stillness, embrace that silence, um, so adding a body scan structure to it where you're going through each part of your body individually and incrementally, um, you know, deeper and deeper as you get used to the practice and doing that on a very regular basis, at least once a day, but also, you know, multiple times a day to catch yourself in different moods and in different scenarios, like before a workout, after a workout, at night, at morning, when you're really stressed, when you're really relaxed and compiling all of that as a form of qualitative data to get like get a baseline of how your body feels under different circumstances and like the average you know um so then once you once you kind of have this gauge which again there's no there's no quantifying it you can't just say cool i've ticked this box i know how my body feels it's more just you know experience over time and i think the best way to tell that you have a good grasp of body awareness is when you begin to pick up on something being wrong um, because it feels different and, you know, dichotomous to what feels right. You'll say, you know, you'll wake up one morning, you'll be like, oh, my right knee definitely feels super strange compared to my left knee. And that's, that's a really good sign. I mean, it's, maybe not an awesome sign. It could, could be something wrong with your knee, um, but it's a good sign that you have a, like a good grasp on what is balanced and what is natural in your body. Yeah. And I like that you keyed into the fact that consistency is important and it's not something that happens immediately. You know, I definitely had my fair mental struggles when I was a runner in college. And uh, actually one of our mutual like professors, Brian Zuliger, really helped me out with, you know, developing some like mind body practices. And definitely a huge turning point was doing more reflection and doing having a meditation practice. And it definitely took me, I would say like months to years to truly cultivate. Um, but now like the things that you notice um, and the things that stand out to you, a lot of those qualitative things are things that I would have totally brushed off when I was a runner. And that's really the reasoning behind, you know, how I got injured so much and, you know, why I was a depressed and cynical, like piece of crap back in the day, you know, not that I was like that much of a piece of crap. Hopefully, I don't know. Other people may say differently, you know? Um, oh no, I laugh because I understand. I, I've been there. <laughs> yeah. And, and now like oftentimes I can almost, this sounds like kind of woo woo and like weird and stuff, but like if I run and I try and progress a little bit too soon when I get back to running and things like that, I feel a lot of these old injuries creep back in uh, my old, like, you know, battle wounds, if you will. But the big thing that I feel is really like a lot of the emotional connection that was previously attached to that injury too. Like yeah. when my Achilles flares up, I feel like depressed and like 
angry and stuff like that. And my life is completely different now. But when I feel a flare up of that Achilles injury, then I'm like, why do I feel like so terrible right now? And it's just like resurfacing a lot of that previous stuff. But I really wouldn't have been able to notice those things. And I didn't notice those things back in the day. And I wouldn't have been able to notice those now unless I had cultivated that type of practice. Oh my gosh. That's, it's so interesting that you mentioned that because that's, that's something I've been going through too, where I, you know, I have been injured for the past few months. And if I go out on a run and my knee starts to hurt, um, when I get back, I am in the absolute worst mood. And it took many, many runs (laughs) of doing that for me to understand that, you know, I'm not just snapping at my partner partner and being a complete asshole for no reason. Um, well, I mean, it's not okay to do, even if it does have a reason, but it, it, it took a while for me to connect the dots and be like, okay, I am getting into this place because I've felt this pain, but not just that because of what the pain mm-hmm. signifies for me, because in the past, similar levels of pain have meant that, you know, I'm out for the foreseeable future. Um, and, you know, I did not have great memories of those times because I didn't know how to handle myself in those times. And even though I have better coping skills now for injury management, my mind immediately, you know, went back to that time where it's like, okay, cool. You're just going to be really depressed for the next three months. So we're just going to be a total jerk. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So I think that's, it's, it's a hard realization to make when, when it comes out in your mood and in your attitude. And I think that really brings up an excellent point because when, you know, we're athletes and a huge part of our identity is taken up by the sports that we do, even if it's multiple sports and things like that, if we can't participate like we want to in those sports, then one, we have the pain from the injury, but we also have this form of suffering and like emotional pain that accompanies it. And when I think back to my you know times as a runner that when I was injured the things that like don't really bug me all that much are like my the fact that my Achilles was like painful you know and it wasn't really that that sticks with me but it's more this emotional suffering that can also accompany these injuries and could you kind of like help me tease out some of those factors there between pain of injury versus suffering from an injury Yeah. I would say that most athletes, because we have such a high pain tolerance for the most part, most of what we are feeling is not the pain of the actual injury. And if we are feeling the pain of the injury, the, yeah, the worst pain of it is that it reminds us that we're not feeling like 100% connected with our bodies and that we're feeling like we can't do the things that we love to do. And we feel like um, isolated from those things. And it's a tough one because, you know, and this might be a controversial opinion, um, but I don't necessarily think that it is a bad thing to align your identity with something that you are passionate about because you're not going to be passionate about it unless you do align it with your identity. And that means that you're also bringing facets of yourself, like deep parts of yourself into into your passion. Um, and it's not just this surface level thing and athletes that are able to say, you know, I'm doing this thing because of what it says about me as a human being. And because of these qualities that I can bring into it from my personality and what it means to me, like those people are going to be able to achieve and accomplish so much more for themselves because it means something. So we kind of have to find this, this line between aligning yourself with the thing that you love, but not doing so at the expense of other things. Like it has to, you know, we were talking earlier, it has to be a pie chart and, you know, it can't be 99% running, climbing, biking, skiing, whatever. And 1%, you know, eating and sleeping and being a human, like you, you have to have other things in there. Um, and I think, yeah, that can be, that can be a real challenge when you're, when you're taken away from it. And gosh, I mean, there, there's so much that you can, that you can do here. And I think it's, it's a twofold approach where on one hand, while you're injured, you want to keep doing things and you need to keep doing things that keep you aligned 
with this passion, even if you can't physically do it. So that's where things like setting specific goals around your recovery process and around your cross training come into mind, like, or come into play where you're connecting that activity and that thing directly back to the the passion that you can't be doing right now so that you know, you know, the more that I invest in my PT, the more that I invest in my stretching and my sleep and my like nutrition, the more that I invest in this visual visualization practice, the better off my recovery is going to be, the faster I'm going to get back to what I'm doing, the stronger that I will feel when I do that and making very specific um, goals and connections so that you still feel very like in touch and involved with what you were doing. Um, But on the other hand, you also have to use that time to understand that if you are emotionally suffering that much, I, I think that, you know, emotional suffering when you're taken away from your sport is very normal. And we don't necessarily want to get rid of that completely again, because, you know, aligning yourself, at least in part is important. Um, And, you know, we, I always encourage people like feel the feels you're going to be sad. You're going to be devastated. It's okay. Like it's not forever sit through it. It means that it matters to you. And that's a good thing. Um, But also taking that as a sign to say, if this is, Verging on the point of, you know, a long lasting depression, or I feel so anxious that I'm ruining my relationships, that I can't focus and work, that, you know, I just feel like a trash human being, then that's, that's your sign that you really need to diversify at least a little bit and find some things that, that do light you up um, in other ways. Yeah. I mean, the the percentage of Nobel Prize laureates that have hobbies is very high and it's very yeah. high for a reason. So they can have, you know, the diversification in their portfolio, if you will, the portfolio of their being, you know? Yeah. And Einstein played the violin, um, you know, all of these different examples of these extremely high performers. I think uh, I think one really funny one that's really really recent was uh, the Nuggets player uh, Jokic. Jokic. I don't know how to. Say oh that. yes, yeah. I, uh, Jokic. I think maybe yeah. my my partner is obsessed with him. <laughs> yeah, so. and you know, people are like, oh, what are you going to do in the off season now? And I bet a lot of people were probably like, oh, he's going to go start training immediately for the next season, right? And he's like. I'm going to go be with my horses, you know, and everybody's yes, like, I love that. And, and, and it just goes to show that, you know, we need to have diversification in this whole being portfolio. Now let's play, you know, a little bit of like devil's advocate here. Let's say I'm not injured and I'm crushing it in my sport and, and a whole bunch of my identity is really consumed by that sport. You work with athletes that aren't necessarily injured and maybe they're doing well, what kind of advice would you have for that person? And maybe why would it help them and behoove them to diversify? Would it enhance their performance in your eyes? Yeah. I mean, think of it this way. If you are trying to work all the time, then think about what the quality of that work is going to turn into. Like this happens all the time. It's the definition of the burnout, um, like, craze that we're, that we're feeling, not craze, but like the burnout endemic that we're having right now, where people have gotten so used to just being so connected to their jobs all of the time, you know, constantly checking emails, constantly thinking about their to-do list. And it's exhausting. It's overwhelming. And when we do actually, you know, sit down to do something, if we've already been thinking about it for the past 12 hours, while we've been sleeping and like worrying about it, we're not going to be able to put our best quality work into there because our we're already exhausted by it. And we haven't even, you know, done a thing. We've just been thinking about it the entire time. Um, so, I mean, take that as a sign that your, your brain has been working on it the entire time. Um, even if you haven't been actively contributing to the project and, you know, it's, it's already tired, it's done, it's clocking out. Mm-hmm. Um, think of it the same way with, with your training, even if you're not physically training all of the time or doing things that are related to your activity. Um, if you don't have other things to help you turn off that side of your brain, it's, 
it's going to feel exhausting and your motivation is going to go down. You're not going to be quite as present when you are actually doing it. Your passion is just not going to be quite there because you never get the chance to, to turn off. Um, so it's kind of the same thing where it's not just about diversifying yourself as a human being. That is very important, but it's also like a, a quality thing. If you want to show up at your best, you need to be able to, to, to turn off so you can turn on. Um, so, I mean, for people that are doing really well and don't necessarily have that cue in their lives that they need to shift focus, um, I would encourage them to, to understand that if they want to continue doing well, they need to, they need to be able to turn off. Yeah. What are, what's some of the advice that you give people who maybe feel like they really struggle with turning off and getting their head out of all these other things that they've been fixated on. Are there any cues or maybe some practices that you give your clients? Gosh. Yeah. I mean, that's just like talking to, to me in a nutshell. <laughs> um, I feel like so much of what I do is just like I, every time that I help someone else, I, I get something out of it too, because I'm kind of catering to the the kind of athlete that I am, which is that little bit of obsessive type um, verging on the unhealthy level. And I, you know, I, I think the best advice is to not put any pressure on what those other things that you want to do are. Like, you don't have to pick up another super productive hobby. Um, like, <laughs> my partner has actually banned the word productive and efficient um, because I kept using them like way too often. And he was like, you need to learn how to just like exist. You know, you don't have to always be creating something and doing something um, and doing it in the most, you know, efficient way possible. Like you're allowed to just exist. And it was during that time that I was really trying to find some other hobbies for myself. I was trying to be like, you know, I was an artist back in high school and I would love to pick that back up in, in my adult life. But at the time it felt so forced um because i think i was trying to make myself create valuable things in that time um and you know i tried to pick up all of these things that i would just allow myself to contort into another form of perfectionism like if i was going to do something i had to do it wonderfully um so i think <laughs> i think the best thing that helped me and that tends to help other people is taking that pressure off and saying, you know, we're not doing something to achieve in it. We're doing something to just enjoy the experience. So think of things that you just enjoy doing, not what you enjoy after the fact of doing or enjoy like the product of doing um, and doing things that you're really bad at um, so that you can't really take on that perfectionism. So for me, that's ended up you know, I used to see reading, you know, as not like I didn't allow myself to see that as a hobby or something that I could spend my time doing because it didn't create anything. Um, but I've learned to really like embrace the fact that when I just need some downtime and I need to, you know, shift my brain away from things and immerse myself in something else, I will just tear through a book and it's, you know, it gives me so much joy and so much pleasure. Um, other things like I am a terrible cook. But the act of cooking and getting my cook, like getting my kitchen completely messy and making a very mediocre batch of cupcakes, like that's really fun to me. Um, and yep, going like doing things with your friends that they are good at, that they can teach you, um, like very immersive experience based things. And I think one of the themes, you know, one thing that I used to kind of like tell myself is that it's okay to suck. You yes. Know? Like, <laughs> when I was like a runner and stuff and I like, kind of needed some other things to focus on so I could kind of step away from running was uh, actually rock climbing. Um, and that's like kind of how we met over the summer because yeah. I actually saw you, I think one of the first days that you were projecting 7 p.m. show. Um, yeah, I think it was one of those days. <laughs> yeah. And you were, it was kind of, you were like geared out. You had like the stick clip on and you were like full like beta <laughs> run mode. And I was like belaying my buddy Garrett and it was just like kind of like a classic rifle scene, you know, like he kept falling on this like really difficult boulder problem at the start of a climb. And we were all just like, you know, 
five feet off the ground and just standing there, you know? Um, oh my God, yes, like you work so hard and you're like not far off the ground at all. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's one of the reasons that I love rifle so much too, is it's okay to suck, you know? I know it's got like, that place kind of has like a reputation and things like that. But I think that once you're into like the rifle culture, if you will, it's all about like, yeah, we're all trying really hard, but it doesn't really mean that we're getting anywhere on our projects. We might just be falling on the same spot over and over and over again. Um, oh my gosh. Yes. Yeah. I, I, the, the important part there though, is that there's so much value in just trying hard um, because, you know, in, in rifle and in a, in a place like that, you cannot make any progress without sucking so hard at first. And if you're not sucking so hard, you're probably not doing anything anywhere close to what you're capable of. Um, and, but it, but it's so hard to just embrace that struggle and just say, cool, I am going to dry fire off the same hold 12 times in a row. And then after that, I have to try really hard to not be a complete jerk when I come down because of how frustrated I am. So <laughs> it's a process. Yeah. And it's like, you know, if you get mad when you fall, like that's one thing. And then if you're still mad when you, when your feet touch the ground, that's like, that's where I try to draw the line is like when my feet touch the ground, like that, that is over. Or like I try to, you know, try and just dump whatever emotions I'm feeling. I'm not always successful, you know, obviously, but. Oh uh, gosh. Yeah. Yeah. My fiance and I had to have a uh, oh, I mean, it was a very serious conversation. Like it was one of our worst arguments, honestly, but he was very brave in bringing up to me the fact that I was not being a nice human being after working on this project. And he kind of got to the point where he was like, I don't know if I can play you on this anymore. You're not treating me kindly. I'm not doing anything wrong. It's just that you're frustrated with with the rock and you know I, I didn't short rope you right there that was you fell you know you know it, it, and it was just kind of that that conversation where I had to realize I was not letting it go when I touched the ground and I was like I was identifying way too much with this route and with this project um and that's kind of you know where it crosses that's another sign like when your identity crosses the line like even if you're not hurt and devastated but if you cannot let go if you're starting to really hold on to those frustrations when you're taking it out on the people that you love that ultimately matter way more than your goal um that's that's a big sign that you need to maybe take a step back yeah and you know the the hindsight is always 2020 and you know it's something that i really struggled with and i think something that climbing has really helped me with is having something like a poor performance and then being unable to let go afterwards, you know, or yeah. like downplaying an okay performance. And it's like, well, it should have been a great performance. So, you know, uh, what's some of your advice for people who kind of struggle with that letting go at the end of a negative performance? Let's say, you know, sometimes we have the worst performance of our lives. And if we let ourselves spiral downwards, then that can get us in a depressive state that can isolate us from our social groups or our families, et cetera. And this is going to trend downwards and have an effect not only on our mental space, but also the physical space as well. I mean, to, to say that there's a disconnection between our mental state and our physical state is, you know, totally overlooking this massive connection. And these are some of the things that can be the underlying factors behind getting injured or having further poor performances and poor training sessions afterwards, et cetera. Um, so yeah. what's some of the advice you have for people that can't let go and maybe elaborate on some of the effects that not letting go is going to have? Yes. Um, I, yeah, I've always struggled with letting things go at the end of the end of the day. Uh, and I think something that's really helped me and some other people that I've worked with is like establishing this closeout routine. Um, so, you know, they say this a lot for people that work from home, you know, have a door that you can shut, be able to leave the environment. Um, and my closeout routine for climbing um, and a little bit for running, but more so climbing because it's, you know, interactive and you can, you can do this with somebody else is running through, um, 
this routine where you say three things that you did well, three things that you can improve on, and three things that you're grateful for from the day. And for me, just running through those things, it allows me to A, focus first on the wins, like focus first on the things that you're doing well, get those frustrations out, but, you know, rephrase them as things that you want to do next time that you might want to change for, for, for the next time that you get on this route or do this run, um, or what have you, um, yeah. So getting that out of your system and knowing like I am documenting, you can even write it down if you need to. Sometimes I put it in my phone to remember for next time, like you are documenting these frustrations. You're documenting what you feel like maybe did not go so well that you want to change so that next time you actually have a goal. You have an intention. It gives direction to what you want to do. You're not forgetting it. You're not just letting it go. Um, you're You're putting purpose to it. And then the third one, you know, things that you're grateful for that kind of reminds you the bigger picture. Like you got to get out for an amazing day with your partner or your friend, um, or the temperature was incredible and the holds felt like sandpaper and, or, you know, any, anything that you can find that, that you feel really grateful for to, to bring you out of that like minutia and into, Hey, yes, I really care about my performance, but at the same time, how freaking cool is it that we got to go out and do this incredible thing. Um, and then using that as your cap, like you do that days over, go do something else. So that could mean like cooling. Like I always encourage people to finish on a win. So if you're really struggling on your project and you, you know, can't make the link that you really wanted to that day, cool. Maybe don't call your day just then, like go do a cool down, something that you can focus on your flow, on your moves, like really just feel strong as a person and as a climber, finish on that. Um, or, you know, finish, go and shift gears, do something else that is really immersive. Um, like that hobby that we were talking about before, or, you know, going out like to a different location, like shift your, shift your environment. Um, and yeah, so finish on a win and then completely shift gears. And then also just kind of being okay with shifting gears. Like, yes, like just because you shift gears and you let it go, doesn't mean that you care less about that activity, you know? Yeah. Like that was one of the things I would tell myself. It's like, Oh yeah, I'm supposed to feel bad because I care about this thing. It's like, you can care about it, but also let it go because it's not, 100% of your pie chart, you know? Yeah, you definitely. And I think that's also where that three things comes in, where mm -hmm. you can remember these things that you care about and want to do differently. Like you're not letting those go. You're not saying that that doesn't matter. You're just saving that for a time when you can actually do something about it because you can't right now. Yeah. And I think that's going to be so helpful for so many people in stopping that downward spiral that can happen after a poor performance or not getting the result or something that they really want. Yeah. And I think you can also spend a lot of time training yourself in self-talk, um, which, you know, is a lot more complex than people oh, think. Yeah. You know, people will always say like, oh yeah, I can just talk back to the, to the words in my head. Like, sure you can, but if you don't ingrain it, if you don't do it consistently and, um, like repetitively and regularly, you're not going like, that's not going to have any effect. You're not going to believe it. Um, and you know, if you're constantly telling yourself yourself things that you don't actually believe, then that's not going to be effective either. Um, so that's another, another thing that has to be more habit than spontaneous action. Like you can't just respond to the negative thoughts in your head whenever they show up, you have to build this routine of having internal conversations, of catching the negative self-talk, of prioritizing positive self-talk and, you know, working on those reframes on a like constant basis in order for them to have any effect. But when you do that and you have that built up in your mind, it's a lot easier to notice that negative self-talk, notice the spiral and reframe it into you know, we're not just out there telling ourselves that everything is sunshine and roses. Like you're allowed to be frustrated. And if you tell yourself that you're not frustrated, 
well, that's just BS. Um, But, you know, learning to learning to reframe those things into things that you still actually believe, but are much more helpful thoughts. You know, so for example, if someone is, you know, feeling like absolute crap after falling a million times on their project and they start having this negative self-talk of, oh, I'm never going to finish this, or I'm a terrible climber, or, you know, why am I doing this? This is way above my head. Learning to reframe that and not say, yes, I can totally do this. If you don't think that you can do it, reframing it into, okay, I'm struggling. What value does this struggle bring me? And, you know, how much closer am I getting to the idea of sending this route by struggling on this? Like things that, you know, don't take that complete left field, but, you know, travel the middle ground. Yeah. I think there's always the value in the struggle. And in the moment that it's kind of difficult to see that, that value to that struggle. Um, What advice do you have for, athletes who are really having trouble with valuing that struggle. Yeah. I mean, this is another one that just takes, I think a lot of time and and effort to, to work with. There's no quick fix, but just reminding ourselves that we're not doing this because it's easy. Um, Mm -hmm. And yes, there is definitely such a thing as doing things for the pure enjoyment of it. And people that run, people that climb, people that do X, Y, Z, like just for enjoying the experience that does not like remove, like there's so much validity to that as well. But if you are taking things to the upper echelons, if you're trying to push your, push your limits and push your potential, it's not going to feel good. Like at least half the time. (laughs) Um, And I think reminding ourselves that, you know, we are, we're doing it for that purpose. Um, and if we didn't want to do it for that purpose, then we should probably, you know, change our goals and change our perspective. But if you're in it for these, you know, big, hard things, you're going to be feeling a lot of big, hard things. And also reminding yourself that like hard does not mean impossible. And just because something is hard does not mean that you can't do it. Like hard is what we aim for. Hard is a good thing. Um, I, I used to coach kids and whenever they would be like, oh, this climb is so hard. I literally, I trained them. I would like look at them and they'd be like, but hard is good. <laughs> and, and they would just, you know, start to recycle themselves on it and like, we can do hard things. And um, I think that a good way to work on that too is to really set process goals. So things that are focused on what you actually have control over rather than the outcome. And then reflecting on those goals every single time that you go out there to do something like setting goals that you can win at if you just show up and put in the effort, um, because that effort's going to look different on every, on every occasion. You know, if we take the rate of perceived effort scale, a seven out of 10 is going to look like one thing one day and another thing another day. But if you showed up and gave your seven out of 10, if that was your goal, if you did that on both days, then you succeeded on both days. And learning to not see that as a participation trophy, but see that as an actual sign of development and growth and commitment um, and finding those really frequent wins on a regular basis, you're going to be able to train your brain to understand, like, I am succeeding. I am making progress because I'm showing up. And I'm finding so much value in this, in this struggle. Yeah. It's kind of like the, the, what Angela Duckworth talks about when she talks about grit and determination being a big separator for individuals with similar talent levels, the one that's more gritty and embraces the suck, embraces the struggle is going to progress more over time. And I think one thing that you are also mentioning, you know, hard is good and failure is not a bad thing. You know, failure is the stepping stone to success, really. Yeah. Like I'll, I'll do, I'll put a little story behind this. I, so earlier in the summer, gosh, it was, it was less than a week after crossing the finish line at Leadville. I got on the 7 PM show and I made it the farthest that I had ever 
like by ever gotten by far. Like I thought I was sending, I was at the last bolt. I kid you not in this part of the climb that is relatively easier than the rest of the climb. So I made it through like all of the cruxes, all of the hard shit. And I was about to clip the last bolt, not the anchors, but the the last bolt and my foot slipped. And I was, you know, hanging before I knew what was going on. And I really started to spiral on this. I like, that was the best I did for a while. Like the last, the next several weeks kind of went backwards. And I started to question, like, was that my chance? Did I lose my chance? Like, was that my opportunity? Um, Am I ever going to send this? I totally fucked this up. And then realizing like I needed to fail at that part of the climb to know that I still need to try at that part of the climb. Like the lesson learned from that was that I let myself get complacent. I didn't put enough um, like force into my foot and I let it slip. It wasn't a freak accident. It was because I wasn't present enough at that part of the climb. And you can't learn that without actually like suffering through that. And, you know, that's something that saved me not only on the actual send go of that climb, but on multiple other climbs, like after that, where I remembered, Hey, I'm in the easy part or the quote unquote easy part, but I still need to be really present here. I can't, I can't let this go because then, you know, I might end up having another heartbreak at the chains. And yeah, I couldn't have learned that at at least not so ingrained and not something that like, like went straight to the heart, um, without having that really, really disappointing failure. Um, and so being able to tie specific value back to a failure and understanding I needed to have this experience in order to become better at what, at what I'm doing and to, and to grow and to, you know, make myself into a, a better version of an athlete and of a person. Yeah. I, that's such an uh, awesome story. And, and one thing that, you know, I kind of tell myself sometimes is, you know, failure is not really failure if you learn from it. And I think one thing that I picked out of that story is the fact that a failure in one avenue or in one event or episode, if you learn from it appropriately, then it can benefit you in multiple domains. And that's the huge like benefit to going in and failing and not having a fear of failure. Cause then if you're just avoiding and you're doing all these like avoidance behaviors, then you don't get the chance to fail. You don't get the chance to then learn from that failure and you don't get the benefits across all of these different domains of life. And it, you know, it goes beyond just rock climbing or running, but like you said, it benefits the whole person, right? Oh yeah. And it's the same thing with, with injuries too. I think those can teach you so much about how you need to take care of your body better in order to have longevity and to, and to achieve the things that you want. Like I I've been having it band syndrome for the past several months. And without that, I wouldn't have known that I need to do some serious hip strengthening and increase my nutrition and, you know, get more sleep, like all of these things that had been creeping up on me that I hadn't noticed that I wouldn't notice if I didn't have this injury. And honestly, like, thank God, because it could have been so much worse if I didn't have this injury to, to clue me in, it could have been a stress fracture, which is way worse. It could have been getting into a really dangerous situation in a race. Um, it could have been so many other things. It could have been something that took me out of the sport entirely if I let it get too far. So seeing failures and, and injuries and, you know, roadblocks as like warning signs instead of stop signs, um, I think it's a really helpful way to see it. Yeah, a PhD researcher by the name of Stuart McGill, who pretty much every chiropractor listening to this podcast knows, uh, <laughs> one of his recent books was titled The Gift of Injury, because yeah. it makes you take a step back and learn about your body. One of the things that we talked about right from the beginning of this podcast was having that body awareness and then circling back to, okay, well, what things do I need to do to prevent this from happening again, which is really the premise of this whole podcast and the whole reason that we're here not to 
you know, not give people the gift of injury. Like if you want to go hurt yourself, like, you know, you can turn this podcast <laughs> off right now. That's totally fine. Um, but it'll happen. Everyone gets hurt. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think that your, um, your recent um, newsletter on visualization during injury and how that can fast track your recovery was also a really good newsletter. But yeah, uh, I think the the gift of injury is a big one. I'm, I also was a previous lucky recipient of iliotibial band syndrome. Uh, oh, yes. It's a fun day. one. Tons of fun. I <laughs> uh, really learned a lot. It's but so fun. Now, like with my current role as a clinician and a guide for people that are going through IT band syndrome or stress fractures or other tendinopathies, et cetera, or back pain for that matter, um, I really am thankful for all those previous injuries that I did have. Because yeah. a lot of times I can, you know, if somebody comes in, they're like, oh yeah, my knee's really hurting on the outside. I think it's like IT band syndrome, like, oh, been there, done that. Yeah. <laughs> know your pain. <laughs> and I've got stuff that I was doing, which back in the, that I did back in the day that you should not do right now. Okay? Yes. Yes. Um, so Lucy, we're, we're coming up at a, a little bit over 50 minutes now. Um, and something that I always like to wrap up the, an interview with, um, is a quote, you know, a historical quote from Benjamin Franklin. It's a really nerdy thing that I do, but um, Benjamin Franklin started the volunteer fire department in Philadelphia. And one of his famous quotes was, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. And this resonates with me and really is one of the underlying like themes of this whole podcast, you know. Um, so, when you're thinking about, you know, maybe past Lucy or maybe thinking about some of your clients, and this could be relative to disordered eating, it could be relative to red S, it could be relative to mental struggles and how to get past them. What is your ounce of prevention? If we could wrap up this whole 50 minutes into, you know, a couple minutes, a uh, little nugget for everybody. What uh, insights do you have for us today? Man, I think that, you know, what comes to mind first is I really wish that I had given myself a purpose previously, because I think that a lot of my struggles, you know, came out of, gosh, how do I put this? Like doing something just for the sake of doing it, which I don't like, let me clarify. I don't think that's a bad thing. Like, I think that enjoying something for the sake of the experience is amazing. That's what makes people put in the time that they need and what makes them put in the effort because they just in genuinely enjoy being there. I don't want to take that from me. I don't want to take that from anybody else, but at least for me, I was not I didn't have intentions in mind for myself. I didn't have, you know, a bigger purpose behind what I was doing. I just was out there trying to move my body as much as possible, get as tired as possible and, you know, feel like I had done something with my day, but I didn't have a reason behind any of that. And because I didn't have a reason, my reason turned into something that really, you know, does not resonate with the core of who I am, which was, you know, what, what does, like, how, how can I exhaust myself? How can I basically put so much into this activity that I don't care about anything else because I didn't have anything that I cared about? I, I hope all this is making sense. Like I, I didn't have, oh, it's getting dark in here. Um, yeah, I didn't have a a guiding light, a guiding reason. So for instance, I would show up at the gym and I would just spend a lot of time doing a lot of climbs and a lot of volume and not really resting and not really having an intention for those climbs. I was just trying to tire myself out. I was like a too high energy dog that like needed some exercise and the issue was that I never knew when to stop because my tolerance just kept going up and up and up and up. And I was using it as 
the only outlet for my energy. So I basically got to the point where I couldn't leave the gym or I couldn't stop a run until I was completely depleted because that's the only way that I knew how to manage that energy. And I didn't have a reason to stop. Um, Like I wasn't working towards anything. I didn't have any goals in mind and like being able to, to set goals also allows you the ability to set parameters and say, I'm doing this routine because it helps me do like get better at this thing and eventually accomplish this thing or work towards X, Y, Z. And it's not just the activity that's built into that. There are components like rest and nutrition and, um, de-stressing that are built into that. And you can see like the whole purpose behind everything when you put everything into context like that. And I, yeah, that's something that I got on board with way too late. Um, and you know, I pride myself in it. I would say, you know, I don't, I'm not trying to do anything in particular. I just really love to climb. And I was using that as my excuse to be at the gym for five hours or like always push my climbing partners to do one more pitch and one more and never having enough left in the tank and always getting hurt and always getting depleted and thinking that that was just a sign of how much I loved it. When really a sign of how much I loved it would be able, would be me being able to exercise restraint and say, I love this so much that I want to be able to see what I'm capable of in it. And that means that I can't go balls to the wall all the time and I need to take care of myself in other areas. Um, so that's a very long winded way of saying that I think that goals and intentions are incredibly important, even for those people that want to take it more recreationally and that don't want to push it to the super serious level. I I honestly think it's even more important for those people because it can be so easy to slip into those routines, which is like, oh, I'm just here having fun until I get tired. And then you just never get tired. And then you break. Um, emotionally and physically <laughs> where you push out that sensation of tired and you get exactly really pushing that out. Yeah. And it becomes your only coping mechanism um, because you don't, because that's what you're using it as you're not necessarily using it for a bigger purpose, whether that's specific goals in your sport or in your life, you're just, you're just turning to it kind of willy nilly and saying, you know, I feel bad or I had a rough day. I'm going to go do this thing. And that's great. But if you have parameters around it, then you can, you know, exercise a little bit of control over it ahead of time, rather than let it, like, let it consume you. Yeah, uh, that resonates with me so much. I mean, I was really, really lucky in my life that when I was in high school, I was in one of the top cross country programs in the country. And then I went to college, and I was in one of the top cross-country programs in the country in college as well. And I got to learn a lot from incredible coaches. And what you just said is exactly what they would tell us, is you have to attach yourself to something that is bigger than yourself and attach yourself to a purpose. We always had a purpose for, you know, winning a national championship or winning the state championship when I was in high school. That was our overarching goal that we talked about pretty much every day. And that was our guiding light for every workout. And then whenever things got really hard, we would talk about the tradition that was set by the individuals that came before us. You know, there have been guys running on these trails and working hard on the track since the 1970s and the 1980s and we had these like old photographs of all these guys who were previous state championship the state champions and previous national champions when i was in college and it really is exactly what you just talked about so i think to sum that up the the ounce of prevention that you had for us was to attach your training and attach what you do to your overarching goal and definitely bonus points if you can attach that to a purpose that's bigger than yourself. Oh, so. totally. And I think, you know, an, an issue with with so many athletes is that we're not out here doing these things just for fun. Um, like I, I say all the time, if you look at the start line 
of an ultra, or if you're at rifle where people are struggling so much, people, people will carry stuff into that. Like you're not just doing that for fun. You're doing it because you've got, you got some stuff that you're trying to deal with. And, you know, that's really valuable on one hand, because you have that purpose, you have that passion and you have that like internal fire that, you know, makes you want to try hard at things, but it's also such a slippery slope of taking it so personally. And I, I think that, you know, setting goals, even though that is that that can be intimidating in a way, it's also a way to separate what you're doing from that inner turmoil that, you know, all of us there are, are dealing with in our own way. Um, because it, you know, it, it externalizes it a little bit. And it allows you to to understand that, you know, this is not a solution to this inner turmoil. It may help with it, but, you know, that's the, it, it can't be the only reason. So I'm going to give myself something external to, to base this around so that I don't end up taking it too far. Yeah. Lucy, thanks so much for sitting down with me today. I think we're definitely going to have you on again because so we can have some more pointed conversations about maybe more specific topics. Um, but let's say I'm a clinician that has an athlete that I need to send to you for help with these kinds of things. Or if I'm an athlete that wants to take my performance to the next level in the mental game, where can we uh, find you? Where can we reach out to you at? Yes, for sure. I would love that. Um, so I, I love to support athletes both in their mental performance and in, you know, also making sure that they have the the skills that they need to function as a human being outside of their sport too. All of this is very holistic. Um, so you can find me at um, on Instagram at at inside out athlete, or my website is www.insideoutathlete.com. And then I have, you know, my, my personal athlete page over at Lucy Haynes as well. Awesome. And I'll be providing links and things like that in the show notes. Um, and we're definitely going to be talking more in the future. Yes, please. I think that'd be great. Awesome. All right. Well, I'll talk to you later. Okay. Sounds good. Thank you.